that radio chick Cheryl Lee here with you. Welcome to the Still Rocking It podcast where we'll have news reviews and interviews with some of our favourite Australian musicians and artists. Today I share a Zoom chat I had recently with lead singer of the Hoodoo Gurus, Dave Faulkner. We chat about the devastation of the postponement of their 40th anniversary tour and the exhilaration of releasing their new album and everything in between. What uni degree did he drop out of because he skipped too many lectures to play music? And the first song Dave wrote was a love song. Find out who he wrote it to. What's Dave Faulkner and the Hoodoo Gurus been up to lately? Let's find out. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're with Cheryl Lee, that radio chick, and we're lucky enough to have in the Zoom studio with us Dave Faulkner from the Hoodoo Gurus. Welcome, Dave. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, Cheryl Lee. Good to be here. It's a, it's a fairly rainy day outside in Sydney, so anyway, it's much better being indoors and talking to you. It's not bad here in Adelaide, actually. And now, the uh, last time we spoke was back in August 2020, when you just released that very subtle single about, you know, being time to Donald Trump to go. Hung out to dry, yes. Yeah, and the very funny associated video, so do check that out on YouTube, people. Um, <laughs> but who knew? What this time later, Putin, and what we're facing now? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and the whole time we've been making an album, there's two years of, of us, you know, involved with that that kind of kept us sane while outside the world being crazy. And it's unfortunately still uh, crazy and scary out there, uh, very scary in some parts of the world. Back here in Australia, you guys were all set to celebrate that 40th anniversary with your massive tour around the country didn't happen last year. Yeah, it was Delta to last year is what it was. It was Omicron this year. Yeah, yeah so, yeah, uh, the tour was supposed to be October. I think it was October or November. And, um, yeah, we moved it to uh, to now. And then a week ago, our drummer, unfortunately, Nick, got COVID. And he's still positive today uh, as well. So um, it's going to take some time for him to, to uh, bounce back. We're hoping he might be through it by, you know, hopefully soon because we want to play at Blues Fest uh, on on. Good Friday, but you know who knows? Maybe even the weather won't let that happen anyway. But um, we're more worried about Nick at the moment and seeing how he's going and uh, getting well. Uh, he's he's fine. It's you know again, like most people say, he's fully vaccinated as we all are. You know, triple vaxxed. That's meant that the infection, rather than being life threatening, uh, has been more like a bad flu. He goes up and down. Some days are better than others. He seems to be you know generally speaking on the improve. So he said to me yesterday, he mainly just has a headache at the moment. Um, is the worst symptom. So hopefully that'll uh, be the, like the last sort of things and he'll get, you know, bounce back completely uh, next few days. But, we'll, you know, we'll wait and see. I mean, some people stay positive for weeks. You just can't tell. Well, I'm glad to hear his symptoms aren't too severe. We had that same yeah. experience here, my whole family. We all got it at Christmas time. We are all triple vaccinated. And it was just like having a very bad cold. Right. We had worse flus in our lives. Yeah, well, as I say, I mean, obviously everyone's concerned about long COVID, which is a whole different story again. The jury's still out as to how much vaccination may or may not help that. It seems like it does help a bit, but not 100%. So we hope that, you know, everyone that's getting this this right now is catching, the, you know, Omicron, that they don't have that terrible uh, after effect as well. Yes. But the good news for us is that we are really in the final stages of reorganising the tour and getting the Adelaide show back on the deck and all the other shows, including the Perth show, which we also was the first one we had to cancel because um, they changed the numbers of people allowed to go to an outdoor venue, which made it untenable to go there. So 
hopefully when we <laughs> announce the new dates, it'll all go through like, you know, a hot knife through butter, you know. We just want to just happen and just no obstacles and just, you know, just have some fun again. Oh, well done. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. I take my hat off to you cancelling, you know, seven dates, Perth, Adelaide, three in Sydney, Hobart, Brisbane, just devastating. But let's look forward and look positively. The rest of you guys in the band managed to avoid... Unbelievable, yeah, because, I mean, we're in the studio with Nick rehearsing for this tour the day before he um, started getting symptoms. So um, Tuesday... We were together for several hours in a small airless rehearsal studio, you know, no masks, of course, because you're singing in microphones and he's drumming. For some reason, I guess, probably because of the vaccination, uh, whatever it was, somehow we all avoided it. And uh, as I said, we were in this, we we're only with him like, you know, the afternoon before. But um, yeah, we've been obviously isolated for a week, just came out of isolation and uh, no one turned positive. So we're happy as Larry in that regard. Still rocking the podcast with that radio chick, Cheryl Lee. Back to speak more with Dave shortly, but let's hear that song with the not-so-subtle message about Donald Trump. The Hoodoo Guru is hung out to dry. So you get hung out to dry, hung out to dry, hung out to dry, hung out to dry, because you're dripping wet. Yeah. celebrating to do because... The new album released last month, Chariot of the Gods. Congratulations. And Thank you. What, what a release. What an amazing live stream concert, one night only event, screening the same time in six different time zones around the world. Yeah. Let's pull that off. I know. Well, for me, it was kind of hard. I keep setting my uh, alarm. And we weren't playing live, obviously. We recorded it a couple of weeks earlier, filmed yeah. it, and then they edited the footage together from the various cameras, but it was completely live, uh, you know, as far as our performance goes. And um, I had to be live blogging during it. And so that was kind of a bit uh, strange, you know. Uh, for 24 hours I was pretty much in front of my laptop every now and again um, just talking to people in different parts of the world as they watched uh, us, you know, playing the songs for the first time for many people. Amazing. We have the technology. We're <laughs> <laughs> Auckland in New Zealand and then here in Australia, Eastern Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and then your hometown of Perth in Perth. London, and then New York City and LA in the US. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, yeah, it was epic. And it was great. You know, obviously, it was great getting the uh, feedback. And, you know, again, most of the songs people had never heard anything of before that, that particular moment. So it was nice. Uh, you know, straight away, people were saying how much they loved what they were hearing. And, and that was before hearing the record. I mean, they're just hearing us playing it live, you know, as a band. But um, that was pretty much an early sign of the reaction that we received to the album itself. You know, people have been great. Um, that They love the album and uh, we're getting the best reviews of our career, which is weird, you know. Because, <laughs> you know, we've, we've had some good reviews in our time, but there's always a lot of reviews that kind of say something nice and they'll say something nasty as well. You know, it's kind of like they don't want to be too kind. But we're mostly getting raves on this album. So, um, yes, it's definitely an unusual experience for us this time. Well, that's fantastic. And I'm going to send you positive vibes that all's <laughs> going to be good for Blues Fest because I'm actually leaving Adelaide in two days on the back of my husband's Harley and we're riding to Blues Fest to see you guys. Well, you might have to take some wet weather gear because uh, <laughs> we've got a pretty big rain event happening right across the state right now. They're saying it's going to go east, so you won't be able to dodge it, unfortunately. Are you going to go up there through uh, Durant Bandy? How are you going to do it? Last year, we went the Hay Plains Way. Yeah, yeah. 
actually got within half an hour of Byron when we heard the news of the COVID cancellation. So this uh, time we're going to go through Melbourne and up the highway. Brilliant. Wonderful. We really hope we can do it, you know, but again, it's the lap of the gods, as they always say. The chariot of the gods and the lap of the gods. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dave, when I was doing a bit of research, you are 64. Yeah. You discovered the fountain of youth or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad actually, I mean, my hair unfortunately didn't last, you know, past my 40s. Oh, actually, not even past my mid-30s, I think. But, um, yeah, my father, um, he turned bald a lot younger than me, but he looked a lot younger than his age for most of his life. So it uh, must be something in, you know, something in the, in the genes there that, that's helped me a little bit. Certainly, if you get up close to me, though, you'll know how old I am. You know, there's, there's wrinkles galore and, you know, saggy skin here, there and everywhere. But um, I think music keeps you young, that's for sure, you know, it, I mean, we do a pretty active show, you know, which we're, it's very high energy and, um, and that's like a, a bit of a, an aerobic fitness uh, <laughs> session for us when we're out there and singing especially as well. So that's the only thing there, you know, slightly healthy lifestyle on tour, I guess, by being physical and I can't drink when I'm singing, but uh, I make up for it when I'm not. Yeah, I went out to dinner last night, had a, you know, couple of bottles of wine with a friend, you know, so, you know, I do get my share of alcohol uh, when I'm not working, but on tour, um, you know, playing, I actually live a fairly clean life, which is um, I'm getting a little bit of, uh, you know, whining about the clock a little bit with that, you know. Yeah. yeah, a bit of yin and yang, a bit of yin and yang going on. I actually always do say that rock and roll keeps you young. Rock and roll is about the youth. That's it. Well, it work, works so far for me, but, uh, you know, I'm wearing glasses now most of the time for things, you know. You do lose some physical uh, abilities. But, um, you know, I'm still able to sing as well as I ever did and, you know, play guitar as poorly as I ever did. That hasn't been affected. <laughs> it's like the old joke, isn't it? Uh, you know, where the guy goes to the doctor and he says, you know, he says, you know, gives him the, his, his diagnosis and says, well, doctor, will I be able, to, be able to play the piano afterwards? And he says, yeah, of course. I said, well, I couldn't before. <laughs> Maybe I'll learn to play guitar eventually when I, as I decay. Still rocking the podcast with that radio chick, Cheryl Lee. Let's hear that new song. From the new album, Chariot of the Gods. Here it is, World of Pain. We'll be back to speak more with Dave shortly. Your fist smashes my face. Chairs fly all over the place. What a sorry sound. First boy, as I mentioned, you decided to move to Sydney, age 23, and never look back. Did you always know that, like, is music in your genes? Are you from a musical family? Did you have a plan B? Well, uh, a last question first, which is I didn't have a plan B because it was never a plan A. You know, it was just I just happened to do music and, and just kept doing it. So the way I got into music myself was um, I'd always been singing around the house as a kid. My mother sang on the radio when she was a teenager, you know, never any sort of professional capacity really, but she, she had a little taste of that, you know. And uh, she loved music. My father loved music too. He, um, he was a better whistler than a singer. But uh, my mother, you know, had a nice voice and my sister had a fantastic voice. I'm younger than my sister. So um, I used to do the harmonies and my mother and my sister would sing the melodies. And so I don't know whether that somehow gave me a sense of the harmonic, you know, the structure of music or whether I just naturally had that in me. But anyway, I could sort of, you know, sense the chord structure and know what the right harmony note would be to sing on a melody. That was just something I did all my life. But I was actually, as a kid, I was known in the family for being more of a painter or an artist. So um, that was sort of the, the career that I was set on growing up. And, and my 
mother particularly, you know, sort of thought you can't be an artist that's, you know, be starving in a garage. Yeah, no one makes money from art, you know, so you can't do that. I mean, she would have said the same thing about music if she'd known as well, but she didn't, that wasn't on the horizon. So she sort of guided me towards doing something more sensible with my drawing skills and becoming an architect. And uh, I was in school, I had bands in high school, we we played the school socials, you know, because we were cheap and we played all the songs everyone liked. And we didn't play other schools, we became popular because, again, we were cheap and played the songs everyone liked. This is before discos and DJs became a thing and made it, you know, live musicians irrelevant, you know. Um, That was kind of, you know, I got my live training through just playing in high school bands. And then um, I went to university, I was playing, I had different projects, things I was working on and I played live and a friend had a duo going and and I just was doing music the whole time and I just didn't go to architecture uh, lectures. And after two semesters, I sort of dropped out of that because I knew I was going to fail anyway. And that made me, my other subjects I still had, maybe an art student for the rest of the year. And I failed art, failed those exams. And then, so I failed my first year of uni and I had to look at myself and go, what the hell are you doing with your life? And the answer was music. It was why I was, you know, not paying attention to anything else. I was just playing music the whole time. So I just kind of got real about it. And um, I got, went out and got a job because I wanted to buy some, some equipment. I, I was a keyboard player at that time, so I didn't have any gear. So um, the school used to have equipment. I used to borrow the school's um, portable keyboard and an amp um, for my band I was in. And after university, in university, I was playing like a piano in a, in a, in a sort of a wine bar you know, and uh, my friend played guitar. So we, we had this sort of duo going. So anyway, um, I needed to buy some gear and, yeah, got a job and never looked back really. But uh, it was punk rock that kind of changed things and made me learn guitar. And that's, again, sort of what's been the rest of my life has been playing guitar and, and writing songs is something I always did. At first, you know, as a little kid, I, I wrote a song probably, you know, 10 or 12, um, I don't know, on the way to the shop, you know, and just started singing about the some words and melody about the family dog, you know, which you know, was obviously a love affair. <laughs> so so was, uh, my, my, first, my first song was a love song to the dog. You know, I just didn't, I didn't know it was like your songwriting now. It was just like I just felt like singing and felt like making up words and that's what I did. And later on I you know, kept doing that more and more, obviously, in, in that band in high school and uh, afterwards. So mum was right. You definitely are creative. Well, she would have made me try to do something, you know, sensible with music. I don't know what she would have made me be, a music teacher. I don't know. But, you know, they, it didn't matter. I mean, I, I was just set on, on playing music and, and, I was, and because it was punk rock came on pretty quickly, you know, I was about 18, on, you know, when I fell in love with punk and 19, I had my punk band, The Victims, yeah. and, you know, I was writing a lot of the songs in that with James Baker, the drummer. We didn't care about the outside world. No one was getting famous or rich. It wasn't a career path. It was literally just doing what we had to do and stop ourselves from dying of, you know, feeling stranded in this culture that didn't identify with the things that we liked. You know, we, we felt completely isolated in, in this sort of, you know, lotus-eating world. Um, we were the angry teens, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> had some, had one each, yeah, we had all that angst to get out of our system and, and also all that energy, that energy we had to express and also love of music. It was love yeah. too. We loved punk music. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't because it was political. We just loved it because it felt great and it sounded great. And it was the most exciting music being made in that time in the world, you know, so we wanted to be doing that ourselves. Uh, and I still feel that way. I mean, music is still an incredible gift in my life, you know, as far as what it gives to me. You know, it's all positive. It's just a beautiful thing. I mean, you can never have too much music. You can't overdose on it. You know, you can't produce too much music for the world. There's no land to fill containing old music. I mean, yes, CDs and records or whatever can become, you know, debris of, of your life, but um, the actual songs, the intellectual property of it, it's always a great thing having another song to, to describe what's going on in the world or your perspective on, on whatever it is, you know, that we can never have enough of those. That's for sure. 
And what was your temporary job that financed your music Well, actually, it didn't end up financing. I had to borrow money from my brother because the job was so deadly horrible. I had to, you know, you do things like go and rent a flat and, you know, you've got to go take yourself out to dinner and have some fun. And so you end up chewing up your pay packet anyway through trying to cope with having to go to work every day and, you know, work in this drudgery, you know. So I worked in a bank training to be a teller. I actually ended up as a teller and it didn't work out very well. I, I was terrible at it. And, you know, I had no interest in it anyway. I, you know, it was just it was only temporary. But, um, yeah, it was just funny. I, really, I got a taste of that life and it was uh, definitely a... Not a, for you. Not for me. No, it was an interesting experience. Towards the end of my, my uh, time at the bank, I lost money one day and it was, I think, around about $300 or something. One day I was just short in my till when the day finished. I went back through all my workers, couldn't figure out what I'd done. That was wrong. Maybe I'd overpaid someone too many fifties without realizing it. They didn't come back and say, you gave me this, you know, whatever it was, was short. And then a few weeks later, the same thing happened again. It was, it was more, it was $350 this time. And it so happened that I'd actually bumped into a band that, that were doing okay and that I liked. And they were, I'd heard they needed a keyboard player. And I'd actually asked them one day if they wanted a keyboard player. And it was a long story, but I, you know, I got this audition. And it was due to happen the next day after I did this big loss. I um, had to cancel the audition because the head office was going to send out someone to investigate my workings. And it would have looked very sus if I said, look, I can't come in today. I'm, having this, you know, I'm feeling, feeling sick. But then, so I had to put off that audition for a week. And then I took a sickie or whatever and had the, the audition. And I got that job. And I luckily, I was able to leave the bank, which apparently if I'd stayed, I would, I would have probably been sent up to the Northwest, up to, you know, the Kimberleys or the Pilbara or somewhere, you know, the mining camps. So the bad tellers went up there, you know, to work off their debt. They actually started deducting the money from my pay packet, by the way. Apparently, they would actually give it back to you after a time, like six months or a year, like after you've learned your lesson. They'd sort of make it seem like you're going to pay this debt back, whatever. Anyway, that was my short-lived career as a bank teller. My defence was a very, very busy branch. They had factories. They had, you know, domestic, you know, people, retail, uh, you know, customers and it was a huge branch. It was the busiest branch in the whole state. And they chucked me in there. It was like, <laughs> wasn't smart. Still rocking that podcast with that radio chick, Cheryl Lee. Well, it sounds like banking definitely was not Dave's scene. Let's have a listen to that song now, What's My Scene? Released in 1987, the lead single from third studio album, Blow Your Call, reaching number three on the Australian charts. What's my- Have you got one brother and one sister, Dave? Two brothers and one sister, yeah, yeah. and I'm the youngest. Any of your siblings in the music industry? My sister, as I said, she had a fabulous voice. Um, still does, should yeah. I say, but, you know, she, she never pursued music. Um, she got involved in music uh, tangentially. She did the right thing and went and got that career that was more solid career and she became a lawyer. But she always loved music and she always regretted that she didn't follow music. But she ended up working for APRA, the Australian Performing Rights Association, who you know, represents songwriters. So she was involved in music in that side of things. She always loved music and still does. And she was performing recently with a choir, but she just gave that up because of COVID. She's had a love of music. My eldest brother, Greg, he's the one that kind of shaped my taste because he's, he's eight years older than me. And he left school because he hated school at 15 and got a job. And so I'm, you know, I was a little kid and he was bringing home all these cool singles and albums that he bought with his pay packet because he's just passionate about music. And, and Greg has very broad tastes. And that certainly is something that um, whether he passed that on to me or whether we have that in common, I don't know, but something I, I definitely admired in him uh, and that I follow as well is to, you know, just listen to all sorts of different music. 
Yeah, so Greg, um, he plays guitar and sings, you know, for fun. And, you know, he's, he's well known as kind of like a campfire entertainer, you know, or party performer, but he's never done any professional uh, work. And my sister has done some professional bands, like, you know, trying to get things going at different times, but nothing ever really clicked. Probably in her case, because, um, you know, she wasn't a songwriter, which, um, you know, was the thing that I had that probably set me apart from other people and gave me, uh, you know, a bit more of a, a calling card. And gave us the Hoodoo Gurus. It still amazes me that your very first TV appearance was for Oh, yeah, the Hoodoo Gurus, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd been on TV before that, but, oh, okay. uh, oh yes, I was in a, a performer in uh, high school on a La Perth local uh, sort of like version of Young Talent Time. My school had this thing sort of called it a folk group. One of the teachers uh, played guitar and then we, and, you know, a bunch of the boys sang. We just, you know, sang whatever the theme of that week's show, we'd sing the songs that were part of that thing. So we were kind of like Partridge family or something, I don't know, but... <laughs> Rotating lineup, but I was one of the people that sang in that. So I'd been on television a few times as a kid. And the Hoodoo Gurus' first one was on Simon Townsend's Wonderworld. Simon Townsend's Wonderworld, yes. And what it was is Kimball Rendell, uh, one of the guitarists that formed the band with me, with, along with Roger Dalge. Kimball was involved in film and he actually was a film editor at SBS for a long time as well at the television news. Anyway, Kimball knew people obviously in the game and uh, he knew people from the program that were friends of his through, through Film Connections. And uh, he arranged for them to do a story on this up-and-coming band, the, the Le Hoodoo Gurus. Wonderworld used to show uh, young bands uh, with a single. There'd be bands like the Drop Bears. Uh, you know, a lot of you know, young bands that would actually have their first performance on, on that program yeah, yeah. because, you know, it was, it was just interesting that way. But they didn't have bands like us. So we were complete unknowns. We'd never done anything, you know. We hadn't even played a gig yet. And the producer was wondering, what, why are we doing this story in this band? What, what's the reason for this? And they said, oh, it's to show kids how to form a band. We always show them bands when they've already got one. But, of course, there was no actual educational content in our, this segment at all, just us acting a fool and, you know, miming to a few of our songs that we recorded a really bad demo of for the program. And, and we didn't let them hear the tape until the last minute because we knew they'd never let us get on if they heard how horrible the music sounded. A couple of those songs were actually on one of our, um, our extras albums, an album called uh, Bubble and Squeak, had two of the tracks from that session. And one of the songs we actually ended up recording was a B-side, so we actually did a proper recording of that song, but um, the other two songs were never recorded elsewhere, so uh, uh, that was sort of interesting. Yeah, so and it just so happened that, you know, you've got to make these things like six or eight weeks out before they get screened, and our first concert happened to be the night after that um, program aired, so we were first performing on television before we hit a stage, so... We were a modern media band. And then the rest is history. rest is history, <laughs> yes. The, the checks came from, you know, the, the people, the, the A&R scouts were all, you know, hounding us, you know, straight away and signed us up and we got a record deal and we had a hit, you know, two weeks later. Banging the door down. Oh, we're That's it. <laughs> no, it took us a few years to get, took us a few years to get signed up, a couple of years to get signed up. And, and as it was, when we were signed up, everyone laughed at someone wasting their money on this band, you know, like no one likes that sort of music now. You're playing guitars, it's all about synthesizers and, you know, like the Human League and Thompson Twins. It was just, you know, music take, has fashion, you know. If you try to be the same as everyone else going around you, you're actually making the biggest mistake. So just be yourself and then eventually fashion will catch up with you or you'll make your own fashion. That's exactly right. I was just going to share. And to thank you guys because it's so, so important and it's fabulous to see bands giving back the profits from your 2003 What's My Scene all donated to breast cancer charities. Well done. Thank you. Well, you know, uh, 
I, I lost a friend to breast cancer, American friend, and uh, yes, yeah, terrible disease. And there's lots of obviously lots of cancers, and we are starting to get a handle now. In um, with the incredible strides being made in you know biotechnology and so forth, so hopefully we can cure all these things soon. Yeah, all we need is the money to fund the research. Again, yeah. thank you so much for that. I'm wishing Nick a very very speedy recovery, and I and I hope the rest of you guys stay safe. We shall see you. I'll be down the front. I'll <laughs> uh, be great. And have a wonderful trip. I envy you. That sounds like a fantastic experience. I mean, obviously, you've done it once before, but um, that sounds great. We know we can do it now. Thank yeah. you so much for chatting with me in the Zoom room today, Dave. Buy the damn album or, you know, listen to it at least on streaming yeah. services. I think you'll like it. People yeah. seem to. <laughs> Available in all the usual places. Yes, the website, you can buy physical copies of the vinyl and the, and the uh, CD through our website and also JD Hi-Fi, people like that, the regular places, of course, or else you can order it from, uh, you know, places like Red Eye Records. They'll, they'll ship it to wherever you are in the world. So um, it, no excuse. If you want it, you can get it. <laughs> Cheers, do, mate. Do yourselves a favour. Chariot of the Gods. Chariot of the Gods. It's epic. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dave. Thank you. Cheers, look, I'll be looking for you. Bye. Bye. Still rocking it podcast with that radio chick, Cheryl Lee. With the Hoodoo Gurus releasing 10 studio albums, 37 singles, two extended plays, six compilation albums, and three video albums. How do I choose which song to go out with? I've selected a collaboration they did with Adelaide's own Masters Apprentices in 1995. Turn up your radio. Surely that radio chick. Thank you so much for joining me on the Still Rocking It podcast. Hope to catch you again next time. Get out when you can, support Aussie music, and I'll see you down the front.